Psalm chapter 49 is where we're at this morning. Grab your Bible, Psalm chapter 49. Psalm chapter 49. You know, uh, every service is a little bit different. Um, the, not always the Lord allow, allow us to preach on a theme, uh, per se, though our theme for this year is uh, He's All I Need. So I've been constantly thinking about that as far as what the Lord would have us on that. And uh, sometimes during the next Sunday school, it's a little easier because you're walking through, so you kind of know what the next uh, message or lesson is going to be on. And so when it comes to morning and evening services and things of like that, 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 I believe the Lord has a particular message. I, sometimes he uses my own personal devotions. This is actually Psalm 49, the one I was reading uh, this morning, I believe. Uh, but sometimes it's just the Lord uses all kinds of things, like teaching a class. The Lord sometimes uh, in the high school or the college, the Lord will bring something to mind uh, that I feel like that's what the Lord has for the hour. And um, so I've been teaching through Psalms uh, in my Bible class, and so I know seemingly I've done several Psalms lately, and it's really been a variety of reasons, but uh, the Lord does uh, have a particular message for us, and I think this is the one for the hour this morning. Psalm chapter 49, are, all the Psalms are unique. Uh, half the Psalms were written by David. Uh, David wrote about 75 of the Psalms, uh, several of the other Psalms, some were written by Moses, and um, you know, you had three of the chief musicians, uh, God used them. This particular one was written for somebody, not by somebody. Obviously, it was a psalmist, but for the sons of Korah. And so all the psalms are a little bit different. It was the psalm book of Israel. We pick up the red book that you have in the pew there to our, us sing our songs. Israel, this was their hymn book. The book of Psalms was exactly that. They were songs that were sung. And so you can imagine how God used a song to give a message. And that's what he did in this particular one. So Psalm 49, we're going to look at uh, this morning. It's verses numbers 1 through 20. And I, I really feel like I'm just going to go ahead and walk through the passage this morning uh, with you again. I feel like I did that during Sunday school. But verses 1 through uh, 4, uh, the psalmist basically says, I want you to listen. And verses number 5 down through verse number 14, he says, I want, the psalmist says, I want you to look. And then in verse number 15 through verse number 20, the psalmist says, I want you to learn. I want to look at those three things. Uh, listen, look, and learn this morning. Uh, from Psalm chapter 49. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Again, I ask one more time, would you again please feed us, feed us and teach us, give us now clarity of the thought, the words to say, and the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, let's pick it up now in, in uh, verse number one. Uh, let, me, let me start off one more thing in the title of a psalm. Now, Church, I don't know um, what you have on your Bible there, but it's, psalms are a little bit different in the sense that the title that is with the psalm is actually inspired. I know that sounds crazy because we all use reference Bibles and those reference Bibles have what a chapter is talking about. But when you have a title on a psalm, that is actually the Lord put that there. All right. So for instance, the title of this one, Psalm 49, he says to the chief musician. Now that's mentioned several times in the book of Psalms. It's always capital M and the musician is Jesus Christ. We're talking about God himself. So when it says to the chief musician, he's saying this is a psalm written t- toward God or to God in, in, in that sense. Then the next statement that is mentioned in Psalm 49, it says a psalm for the sons of Korah. Now, Jim, we know who Korah was. Korah was that person that turned against Moses and said, you take too much upon you. And God says, I don't think, or God told Moses, but Moses said, I think you take too much upon yourself. Korah was a Levite. He was uh, serving in the tabernacle and he wanted to be the one in charge. And, and of course, God didn't like that. And of course, Korah is swallowed up by the earth. But notice the sons of Korah learn from their parents. And by the way, all of us ought to consider the pluses and minus pros and cons of our family because every parent has good character traits and they have bad character traits and we need to make sure that we follow the good ones. Now, Korah's children obviously learn from that 
and is given now this particular psalm uh, together, all right? Let's pick it up, verse number one. Here's what he says. He says, first of all, in verse number uh, one, he says, hear this. Now, he's very particular. Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world. I circle the word all in both of these because in verses one through four, this is not just a psalm to believers. This is a psalm for everybody. He says, hear this, this truth that I'm about to tell you, everybody needs to know. Doesn't matter if you're lost or saved. He says all the inhabitants of the world needs to know this particular thought. I hope you're reading and follow because it's very clear here what he's going to say next in verse number two. He defines who the all is. In verse number one, he says in verse two, both low and high, rich and poor together. So he says, the psalmist, he says, listen, what I'm about to tell you, hear this. I'm about to tell you something in this particular psalm. And he says, I need you to listen. And I need everybody to listen. All the inhabitants of the world. When I'm, it doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're low, of a low esteem, a unpopular, or high esteem, uh, popular, where uh, you have uh, position. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody needs this. Look at verse number three now. He says, my mouth shall speak of wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. Now, church, we know what wisdom and understanding is. Wisdom's worth more than gold, silver, rubies, or all that a person could desire. He says, these truths that I'm about to tell you are worth a lot. Look what he says next, verse, next, verse number uh, four. I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark sayings upon the harp. So the psalmist, we don't know exactly who it is, but the psalmist says, what I'm about to tell you is going to be in a song. This particular psalm is a song. He says, I'm going to give it in a parable. What's a parable? A parable is a similitude. A parable was a story that was used to be able to teach a truth. He says, I'm going to use that story. I'm going to use this truth that I'm about to teach. So he says in verse number one through four, you need to listen. All right, now look what he says next. And this is what he wants us to see. Look at verse number five. He says, wherefore should I fear in the days of evil? Now that days of evil is mentioned in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number one. And it's talking about the older uh, days of our life, the days of evil. That's what it's been referenced to, the older days of life. He says in the next phrase, when the iniquity of my heels shall come past me about. Now, church family, this is, my, uh, this is my recognition of this particular verse. I think that the psalmist is trying to say that, listen, what I'm about to tell you is causes me not to fear when I get old or when I die. The psalmist is trying to say, I've got, I've got this, what I'm about to tell you, I've got it taken care of. He says, I've already done what has to be done or should be done. So I don't fear, well, the word wherefore means why, in verse number five there. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when I get old? And when, why should I fear when the iniquity of my heel should compass me about? Remember Genesis, where he talks about the serpent would bite his heel. That's, a, that's the idea of wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. We understand that we're all going to die. All right. For me so far, say amen. All right. So the psalmist says, first of all, he says, listen, you need, what I'm about to tell you, this truth is pretty important and everybody needs to hear it. Then he says, the tr to, to a degree, he's explaining about this truth. He says, now, I want you to look and I want you to look very carefully because as you get older and you're going to die, this truth is going to affect everybody. All right, look what he says next, verse number six. He says, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. Now, church family, he is going to go on to say about this rich person from verse number, uh, uh, verse number six all the way down to verse number 14. He's going to talk about the person who's wealthy. All right. Now, look what he says about this wealthy person in verse number uh, six again. They, they that trust in their wealth. Look at verse number seven. What's the first word in verse number seven? None of them. In other words, they that trust in their wealth, none of them 
can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever. All right, now, what's he trying to say? It doesn't matter how much money you, are, how much money you have, you can't buy your way into heaven. All right, now, I'm, I'm summarizing, but he's saying, now listen, the richest person in the world cannot buy life. When it's, when it's time, when God says your time is to die, you die. It doesn't matter how much money. I don't care how many tests you do. I don't care how many procedures you do. God's the one that gives life and God's the one that takes life. All right? That's what he's saying here. He goes even a step farther. Not only can a rich person not buy life for somebody else. Look at verse number nine. He says that he should still live forever and not see corruption. Now, I think he's referring to himself. A person who has all the money in the world cannot extend life any longer than what God allows them to extend life. Look at verse number 10. He says, for he seeth, now he being the verse number six, they that trust in their wealth, for he seeth that, that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. In other words, this person who has wealth, and remember now, first of all, he says, listen, then he says, look, he says, I want you to look at the person who has money, who's trying to keep other people alive, trying to keep himself alive. He looks at those who are wise, those who are foolish, those who are, are, are brutish, I think is the word used there, which means stupid. He says, he says that, he says that, he looks at that, and no matter how rich a person is, people are rich sometimes because they worked for it, people are rich sometimes because they inherit it. There are certain people who are frugal with their money. There are some people who are not frugal with their money, but yet they have money. And he says, listen, the rich person looks at all these different kinds of people who have wealth. They've got their 401k. They've got their retirement. They've got their money. And he looks at those people and he says to himself, hey, that guy over there is wise. That guy over there is foolish. This guy over here is stupid. And even though they have money, they're all going to die. All right, that's what he's saying. All right, look what he says next, verse number 11. I'm sorry, verse number 11, yes. Their inward thought, whose inward thought? Go back to verse number six. Let's read the first phrase together, ready? They that trust in their wealth. All right, so when it says in verse number 11, their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. All right, now church family, the reason a wealthy person's inward thought is that what they have is going to last forever because that's a very stupid statement. Even a lost person knows they're going to die. But he says here, their inward thought is, okay, I might not live forever, but at least I can have what I have outlive me forever. Now, I want to just tell you something, church family, this is all going to burn. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how, many, how much money you saved. It doesn't matter how many houses you put in your name or what lands you put in your name. And by the way, isn't that what, what people do all the time? You can't go across town without coming to a street that has somebody's name on it because they want their name to outlive them. Are you with me so far? So the truth that he's trying to teach us here is that wealth cannot save you. All right? It doesn't matter how much money you have. Look what else he goes on to say here. Look at verse number um, 13. All right? Uh, I'm sorry, verse number 12. Verse 12 says, Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. Now, church family, that verse is almost repeated identically in verse number 20. Verse number 12, verse number 20. Look at verse 20. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beast that perish. Now, I want to point out the difference in those verses that are repeated because he's trying to teach a principle, all right? Verse number 12, verse number 20, verse 12, nevertheless man being in honor, here's the phrase, abideth not. Go back down to verse number 20. Man, 
that is in honor and understandeth not. Abideth not, understandeth not. Now, church, let me follow me for just a second here. I'm coming to the truth. Stay with me. It won't be long this morning. I want you to think about what the psalmist is trying to say here. When he says man being in honor, in context, it's referring to somebody who has what? Wealth. A person who's got money. A person who's well-to-do. A person who can dress well. A person who has things. A person who's prominent. He says, listen, that person who's in honor... He says, being in honor abideth not, verse 20, understandeth not, is like the pre, uh, is like, sorry, is like the beasts that perish. I want to tell you something, that dog that we have at home, I don't care how cute he is, he's still just a dog. He has no soul, all righty? When he dies, he dies, all righty? I know you all, you're really attached to your animals, but can I just tell you something, beast or beast? I grew up on a farm, all righty? You put a bullet in an animal's head when it was time for them to die. You didn't use some medicine to cause them to die. Getting awful quiet in here. Okay, if you grew up on a farm, you get used to things dying. It was nothing for us to go to the chicken coop. Dad had 100 chickens, and regularly there was a chicken in there dead. And you go in there and pick it up its little legs and, you know, and let it dangle as you walked out. And, and you went and got rid of it. All right? You know why? Because it's just a chicken. The one you're going to eat this afternoon, somebody had to kill, by the way. Okay, all I'm trying to get you to see is beasts are just beasts. They're a dog, a cat, a bird. doesn't matter what your pet is. Your pet does not have a soul, all righty? I remember the first time we had to do a funeral for a dog. I know, tell me about it. I laughed too. My te- we were teenagers, my brother and I, and Mrs. Buchanan's dog died. Mrs. Buchanan was a member of the church, Heritage Baptist, I'm sorry, Sock Village Baptist. And so my dad calls me, and my dad, he was trying to do the pastoral thing. My dad said, listen, Mrs. Buchanan's dog died. It was a family pet. They had it for years. We're going to bury it. And he said, he said, Dave and Scott, he said, I want you to go make a casket for it. I said, what? We grew up on a farm. You just dug a hole. He says, I want you to go make a casket for it. So my brother and I, the whole time we're making this casket, this box for this dog, we're laughing and teasing and all kinds of stuff. Sure enough, Mrs. Buchanan came out to the farm. We had 16 acres of land. We go out there, we dig the hole. My brother and I are standing there and we're doing everything we can not to laugh because dad's, and dad didn't pray for the dog, which I'm thankful for. I mean, he prayed for, but this is we can. You know, they had this dog for a long time. Would you please, again, comfort and strengthen them through this because it's definitely a loss in their life. They were older and the dog meant something to them. And my, my brother and I were there, you know, we weren't dressed in black, but anyway, we, we were there and we put the little casket down in the hole and we covered it up and, you know, you know, just kind of had a little funeral there. That's the only time in my life I've ever done anything like that. And my brother and I just could not believe my dad was doing this, but he was just trying to be nice to them, okay? Now, I don't know how long you've had your little dog and I'm not trying to be cold, but can I just tell you something? There's no dog heaven. I know you shook you. I know it's shaking you. I know, it, I know it's really bothered. There's no dog heaven, all righty? There's a cat hell, but there's no dog heaven. It's in the Bible, all right? There's no dog heaven. You know why? Because beasts don't have a soul. What's the parallel that he's trying to make here? He says the problem with a rich person is he thinks like, he's thinking like a beast. He has no idea that he's not going to heaven. There's not going to be an eternity for him. His eternity is going to be in hell. He's going, to, he's going to address this as we go farther down. And he says the problem is, is because their wealth has caused them not to understand that this is, this is not all, this is this life that they're living in. There's a life after that. Look what he says. Maybe explain better as we go a little farther. Verse number 12. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. Doesn't matter how much money you have, you're going to die. He is like the beast that perished. Verse number 13 this their way. Now I circled this their way because what's their way? 
what's the way of a rich man? I put an arrow back to verse number 11 because what's their way, their inward thought, verse 11, is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names, this their way. In other words, when you do this kind of thing of naming your houses and your lands after you, thinking that it's going to dwell forever, this their way is their what? Verse number 13, this their, this their way is their what? Folly. That word folly means silliness. This is, that, that, that's crazy. We, we, wealth does not guarantee that everything that you have is going to live forever. The only thing that guarantees you're going to live forever is Jesus. Look what he says, goes on to say in verse number 13, this their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. Church, I mean, who's their posterity? Their posterity is their children. Their children say, yes, dad, we'll do whatever you want. And as soon as dad's dead, they sell everything and take the money. Do you understand that God makes it very, very clear here that they get their offspring to approve their sayings? What sayings? I want my name on that street so that long after I'm gone, people will see me. Their posterity approved their sayings. Look at the next verse, verse number 14. He says, like sheep, referring to the person who's wealthy that's going to die, like sheep they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty, the rich man who's, who's dead, shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. All right, now, church, I mean, before I finish, we come to bring it down to the conclusion of what the psalmist is trying to say. In verses 1 through 4, he says, listen, what I'm about to tell you is pretty important. And then he says, this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this person who thinks he's wealthy, that's gonna, that what he has on this earth is going to be forever, when it's not going to be forever. He is going to die. And it doesn't matter if you're a wise rich man, or a foolish rich man, or a brutish rich man, you're still going to die. Hey, church family, can we just put it on, on, I know we're using the rich man as a lost person, but can I just say there are saved people who are rich as well? And I want to just tell you something that as Christians, we cannot live our life for money. Money is not the issue. Money is not what we live for. And if we're not careful, we get so consumed with how much money I've got in the bank or how much I've lost in my stocks, when the truth of the matter is it all belongs to God anyway. Now here's the thought that he's trying to say, here's what I want you to learn. Verse number 15 through verse number 20, the psalmist says this. Look at verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Hey, are you saved this morning? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Can I tell you what this world's philosophy is, whether you're lost or saved, is make money and then make more money. Can I tell you what the philosophy of this world is? That if you have money, you're doing well. If you have money, you're somebody. Can I just tell you something? If you have Christ, you're somebody. If you know for sure that you're saved, you're somebody. If you've been uh, forgiven of your sins, you're somebody. If Jesus Christ died for you and you believed and received him, you're somebody. It's not about how much money we have. It's about who we have. This morning's message is, is Psalm 49, and the psalmist makes it very, very clear. But I think sometimes we as Christians, if we're not careful, we get caught up in the world's rat race of trying to make money of trying to have things. I want to tell you what the most important thing you could ever have. That's Jesus. Amen. He says in verse number 15 again, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. When I die, I know where I'm going. Listen, I, I don't know when the next funeral will be. Could be yours. But you should have the confidence that if it's your funeral, you know where you're going. It's not what I leave behind. It's where I'm going. It's not what I had in this life. It's what's coming in the next life. It's about the Lord, as I like that last phrase in verse number 15. He shall receive me. That's pretty personal. 
He didn't say, I'll receive the church. He said, I'll receive me. In other words, it's, it's personal when it comes to God loving you and knowing you if you're saved. Another truth that he says, not only should you learn when it comes to knowing, knowing Christ and being saved, but look at verse number 16. Look at the first phrase. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich. I told this morning, was it this morning? I think it was this morning, this hour, I'm guessing. I guess it was this morning. I was, talk, was it this morning I was talking about McDonald's? This morning I was here? And uh, those three guys that are in the next booth over, they come every Sunday morning. They're there when I'm studying. And they, they per, I feel like, they purposely have an air to them. They, they won't talk to me. They won't look to me. Even if I acknowledge them, they don't look to me or talk to me. It's like they're way up here and I'm way down here. And so, and you know, if we're not careful, we have a tendency not to talk to people or a tendency not to tell people about Jesus Christ. Or we have a tendency to think that people, church, I'm going to tell you something. People are not here and you're here. We all are flesh and blood that will spend either eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And we don't have to be afraid or ashamed to talk to people who have money. I was witnessing by myself years ago, and uh, I was in Albemarle. And to be honest with you, I don't like going to rich people's. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the way they portray themselves. And so to a degree, it's somewhat of a bother. In fact, Jesus said in Mark 4, 10, 24, he said, The disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. When I was in Albemarle, this guy answers the door. He had cutoffs down to his knees. Uh, he was a big, 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 had a big tummy, big fella, had kind of a tank talk on, you know, just, he was rich, but he was, but he answers the door. And when I, when he answered the door, he looked at me and he says, what are you doing here? That's what his first statement. What are you doing here? Before he made the statement, he looked at me and didn't say anything. He looked at me like, you know, who are you? And then his first statement, he says, what are you doing here? And his next statement is, we don't need you here. Now, I, I want to tell you, there's an heir to a person who has money. The Bible says the rich answereth roughly. And sometimes we allow that rough exterior because they have money and things to cause us to Christians to be bashful. But what did the psalmist say? Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the, the glory of his house is increased. Why? Look at verse 17. Why should you not be afraid of a rich person? For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. Look at this next phrase, verse 18. This is interesting. And men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. The person who's getting the accolades because of the nice car and the nice house, the Bible says that's a normal thing that when a person does well for themselves, they are going to be blessed. People are going to say nice things about them. But guess what? We don't have to be afraid of rich people. We don't have to be afraid to tell them Jesus Christ died for them and that God loved them. We're supposed to warn everybody. And so what he says in the psalmist, he says, listen, first of all, realize, are you saved? Will God receive you? Will God, has God redeemed you? And then second of all, he says, don't worry about what rich people think about you. He says, be honest, tell them, because what they have is going to be taken away. Look what he says next here in your Bible, verse number 18 again. Though while he live, he, be blessed, he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. Verse 19. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. I don't think all rich people are going to hell, though Jesus said that it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the reason for that is because a person trusts in their riches and not trusts in God. But you'll notice that the statement about a rich person is this, they're not going to see light. And I don't believe that God's saying that every rich person is going to hell because every rich person is not going to hell. Because those who put their faith and trust, whether you've got money or not, determines whether you're in heaven or not. But can I just tell you, the majority of rich people who are trusting in their riches and not trusting in God, they will never see light. What is that a picture of? 
You know, we talk about hell where the, where the worm dieth not, and where the fire is not quenched, and where a person is tormented. But did you know another description of hell is utter, I'm sorry, outer darkness. Outer darkness. You know, we look at these people that have, they, man, they seem to have everything. They don't have everything if they don't have Christ. We don't have to be envious and jealous of a person who has things. What we're supposed to realize is that in this short time of life that I have, eventually that death is my crossover and I'm going to be with God forever. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I will have more than they could have ever even imagined. And then he closes this out in verse number 20. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beast that perish. You know, I think the big question is this. Do you understand why you are and where you are right now? Do you understand? Well, you know, our house has got a, you know, a leak in the roof and my car is about to die and barely making ends meet that we pay the bills for this week. Wait a second here. Do not allow riches to taint your thinking. The most important thing you have is Christ. Follow me now and I'm done. We live in Lawrence, Kansas, and I love Lawrence because it's where God placed me. But, you know, let's face it. Lawrence, Kansas, Kansas, in my opinion, is more middle class and up. We have a few areas that maybe might be a little more poor class, but truthfully, the city that we live in, they take pretty good care of our city when it comes to the streets, when it comes to things. I know we don't live in a perfect city, but we live in a, I, think, I think it's a very well-to-do city. I think sometimes that if we're not careful that because of living in this kind of city, we think, well, listen, there's no, I can't talk to anybody about Jesus Christ because of them having things. You know, when I was growing up in Sauk Village and I ran a bus route, we could have a, we could have a Sunday like bubblegum Sunday or flavor ice Sunday, which was just a popsicle, and kids would come from all over. We have a hard time getting kids to ride a Sunday school bus now because they have so much. You'd have to offer them a new car to get them to come to church. Because we're living in a society that the society of children have so many things that you can't, you say, well, you shouldn't try to bribe kids to come to Sunday school. Jesus fed 5,000 with fishes and bread. I think it's okay to offer a kid a cupcake. Do you understand that the purpose of trying to run promotions on a bus route is that they'll come to hear about Jesus? But I want to just tell you, the day that we're living in today, you can offer, uh, they have it all. But they don't have it all. You know what they're still missing? They're still missing Jesus Christ. I believe that this morning's crowd this morning, you are very clearly, verse number 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. I do believe that most, and I can't, I can't see your heart, but I would say for the most part, you're, by your testimony, you know for sure you're saved and you're on your way to heaven because you put your faith in Christ sometime in your life. But church, I mean, don't allow riches to taint your eyes. What's most important is, is where you're going and who you have. And don't allow the riches of others to keep you from being the witness that God wants you to be. We talked about this during the Sunday school hour about Jeremiah and how God gave him a command and how we're supposed to tell others. And Jeremiah said, I can't do it. And God says, you can do it. Money has a way of causing us to be bashful and money has a way of keeping us from doing what we're supposed to be doing. Be careful that you don't let that happen. So the psalmist in Psalm 49, here's what he does. Hear this, first two words, hear this. This is pretty important and everybody needs to hear it. He said the word all twice. He said, the rich man lives for his wealth. But what you need to learn 
is that he's going to receive me. And I need to live my life for him and not for money. That's all he's trying to say. Make sure we as Christians keep our focus right. We have to have money to live, but we've got to make sure we don't make money our living. Amen. We've got to make sure that we don't put our money. R- riches, if you're not careful, blinds the eyes. Keep your focus on the Lord. Lord, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I want, you to, I want to do. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning?